0: Men, uh, I'm noticing a theme up here between you three. See if you can figure out what it is. They all play instruments, and it's too much to, to, to just pass up. Thank you, Hank. Uh, always love to hear you sing, brother. Um, Um, I have asked our, I, I asked Kathleen that we take the gifts that he, that God has given to our church and put them on display so that we might glorify God uh, in Hank's gift. Um, we need to praise the Lord and to, um, you know, for a second, I, I was sitting there thinking while, while Hank was singing, I was focusing on on him and I thought so much about growing up and hearing Hank sing and Oh, it was great. It was always great. Because then uh, when I'd go home, I would impersonate how he held the mic, and I just loved it. I tried it one time when I was singing Turn Your Radio On, and it was bad. I mean, (laughs) it's just not within me. But uh, I was just, you know, I was becoming um, nostalgic, and then I I realized, okay, hold on. I I need to just, I need to close my eyes for a second and just... Try and grasp what the song is saying. What, what are these words? Um, it is very easy for us to turn off our brains and be caught up in the emotion of music. But that's never what God intends for us. He intends us to be intellectually engaged from the moment we walk in to the moment we leave. These are, after all, the things of God. We are giving to you today through the word of God, the things of God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in here today, if you would raise your hand, you're not going to get in trouble. But how many of you in here today would say you understand the things of God? Raise your hand. Wow, okay. No one understands the things of God. We've got work to do. The things of God, as scripture says, when we talk about the things of God, it refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask it that way. How many of you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. Amen. There we go. Sorry, you needed a little bit of... I could. I am interested in what you were thinking, but uh, the Bible says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are false. Folly, that means foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because the things of God are spiritually understood. So everyone in here raised their hand this morning. If it's true and only God and you know and the rest of us observe by your life. Whether or not you are a natural man, those of you who rose your hand today said this morning that you testify that you are more than a natural man, more than a natural woman. You are a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, a spiritual child. Because the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. All you who have have raised your hands this morning and testified that you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ are testifying to God's work in your life. That God has given to you a new life, a new spirit. This morning we're going to talk about the doctrine of effectual calling. It is the next doctrine in our confession after free will. Last week I had a lot of interesting questions after last week's sermon on the topic of effectual call, or, uh, on the topic of free will. And a lot of people were asking, how can we be free, and yet God is the one who saves us? Uh, That's a question you can ask from now until you go to heaven. The Bible does not answer that, at least in the how, those two things work together. Namely, that you and I are responsible for receiving the message that we hear today. It's going to be us who get up. And move. It is going to be us who come. It's going to be us who dedicate on this day to follow Christ. But if we do that, if that happens, Scripture also tells us that that is completely the work of God, because the natural man, the man without the Holy Spirit, cannot understand the things of God. You you don't have the power. So so today, if you don't understand the things of God, if you have not received the things of God, if you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not dedicated your life to make him Lord of your life, it is because you are still a natural man and you cannot do what you do not have the ability to do. That's what scripture says. Some of you may say, that that creates in me great anxiety. But if you have believed Christ and you have believed on his name and you have tried to strive and make him Lord, that ought to be a source of great comfort. It ought to be the very thing that brings you to joy to know that the love you have for Jesus Christ is because God has given you new life. Your ability to praise the name of Jesus and to call him Lord and to walk after him is all completely the work of God. If you say today, well then I will sit here and I will wait until God calls me. Then you will never come. You must come. These truths work together They are parallel truths. If you're waiting for an explanation how they work, you're not going to get one because the Bible simply tells us that they are true. You don't have to wait for an explanation of exactly how gravity functions and it works to know that if you jump off the top of this church, you're going to die. And what I'm telling you this morning is that if you do not receive Christ alone to be your savior and you die in that condition, you will not have eternal life. You will spend eternity separated, by, separated from God and in a place that the Bible calls hell. When properly understood... The doctrine of effectual calling, also known as effectual grace, is the sweetest doctrine to the ears of a true believer, for by it we learn that our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ was not built upon the shaky foundation of our intellectual beliefs. Or the ephemeral, that is, fleeting nature of our emotions. But that our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has been wrought in us. That is, it has been created in us by the same resurrecting power that brought Jesus Christ from death to life... That is, that that power has now been enacted in our spirits as God has given us a new heart. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that has now raised all of us who say we understand the things of God, those who live by faith, those who trust in Jesus Christ, those who seek to make him Lord. The Bible tells us that that same power That 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 is born out of the same power that raised Jesus to life. We have been raised to walk, as scripture says, in newness of life. For that, if we are in Christ, we are a new creature, a new creation. How are we new? Is it that we have biologically or physically changed? No. It is that we have a new spirit in us. God's. Holy Spirit in us God's effectual calling the word effectual means that when God calls his people in time and in space it will occur it will happen this is an inward call today I will call all of you every one of you who are here to come to repentance To come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. I will call you outwardly with my mouth and by the word of God. But lest the Spirit call you inwardly, you cannot come. You are natural. Without the Spirit's work, you cannot come to Jesus. But you must come to Jesus. It is effectual because when the work of the Holy Spirit takes hold of our lives, those who were once dead in their trespasses in sin are now made alive in Christ. And there is real transformation. God's effectual calling by which he gives new spiritual life to his elect All by the grace of his will gives every true believer the blessed assurance that God is able to not only change and transform us, but to keep us and to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ in our hearts until the end of time. Let's pray. Father, I lift this message up to you. This is your word Lord, let us put aside the thoughts and the anxieties of the week and focus on you this morning. Your word tells us that when Paul was preaching in Philippi, that it was you who worked in Lydia's heart to help her understand the gospel, the message that Paul was preaching. So we pray that you today, Lord, work in the hearts of those who are dead in their trespasses and sin, and give new life through the reading of your word. And we just offer these things to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. In the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is the statement of theological belief that I hold to and that I require all of our teachers and leaders to hold to, says this about effectual calling. In God's appointed and acceptable time, he is pleased to call effectually by his word and spirit. Note those two words, by his word and spirit. God does not call people apart from his word. That is the truth of the message. Don't get bogged down in the idea of a book, but the message is what we are after. And by his Spirit. All of you are going to hear this morning the word read. But the effectual call is heard with spiritual ears and received with a spiritual heart. God is pleased to call effectually by his word and spirit those he has predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin and death. To grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. As we just read. God takes away their heart of stone. That is a heart that is hardened against God. That hates the message of Jesus Christ. Hate, by hate we mean simply rejecting it. takes away the heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh, a heart that is sensitive to the word of God. And he renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Christ Jesus. Yet he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willing by his grace. The confession notes what scripture teaches, namely the great mystery of our responsibility to respond to the call that God brings in us and makes real in our hearts. It is our responsibility to come, but we would not come unless God gave us the ability to come by the renewal of his spirit in us. Well, what is effectual calling? Let's talk about it briefly. It is the doctrine of Christianity that testifies to this truth that God alone saves sinners. God alone saves sinners. And that this is through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. The word regeneration means new birth. Genesis means beginning Regeneration means new beginning. And often in scripture, new beginning is spoken of by the metaphor of birth. Second birth. New birth. The doctrine of effectual calling is the first step in our salvation. None of the other things about the Christian life are possible... The good works that we do in this life. The love that we have for Christ. None of that is possible without God first giving us a new heart. A new spirit to love him and to enjoy him forever. Without God's intervening work to give us a new mind, a new heart, and a new will. We would never receive Christ as our Savior on our own. This doctrine is also called effectual grace, so as to emphasize that God's election of his people is totally by his grace alone. Some of you have heard this word before thrown around in Christian conversation. That is the word election. That is a biblical word. And it is a biblical concept. And what it tells us is that those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, he called effectually, inwardly by the Spirit. And those whom he called, he justified. That is, he forgave us of our sins and put us in right standing with God. Put right standing with himself. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That is that he who began a good work in us will see it through. He will complete it. It will not be lost in God's economy of salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. You can never be separated from his love. Nothing in this life, neither life nor death. Not famine, not persecution, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God if you were one who God foreknew and conformed to the image of his son and called and justified. Nothing. You say, so why do I doubt my salvation? Because of sin. That heart of flesh that God has given you, He has given you as a means to procure what is already certain, namely your glorification. He knows the end from the beginning... But you and I, if we knew the end, if we knew for certain that we, were going to, that, that we were going to be saved... ...and it was completely by God's grace, might take that for granted. Scripture certainly says, do not quince the Holy Spirit. And you quince the Holy Spirit by living in sin. We would take for granted this life in God's grace now... ...from the moment we receive Him to the moment when we die... And we might live in sin, but God has not made it such. He has given us a soft heart to be sensitive to sin. And so that we will never, never, never have assurance of our salvation while we are living in sin. Furthermore, you will never, never... Never have assurance of your salvation until you begin to increase in those qualities that make your calling and election sure. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 3-11 Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, brotherly affection, love. Are we increasing in these things? Are we desiring Christ? If so, that makes our calling and our election sure. It means that the love that we have for God, when we see it manifest itself in the good works of our lives and the things that we do for others and the things that we do for God, all for his namesake and for his namesake alone, not to earn our own salvation. When we see them, Peter says we have to turn our hearts and our eyes right back to him and say, Thank you for electing me. Because without you, I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. This good deed, this life, this love for you, you gave to me. So that in everything, everything, God might receive the glory. God will not share even a speck of his glory with you A speck of dust. He has saved you. This is the doctrine that God saves sinners, but that it happens in real time and in real space and that there is a transformation. And somehow we have come to the idea, the wrong idea in this country, that you can be a Christian and that you don't have to be a born again Christian. Now listen to me. Stephanie and I are watching one of these stupid shows, um, reality TV. You know, what does that say about us? But, well, not my wife, but me. Uh, anyway, we're watching this show, and there's a girl on the show. And she's really, it's, it's uh, well, it's 90 Day Fiance. It's before 90 Day Fiance. Listen, listen, don't make me go home and look at your TiVo and see what's on there. So we're watching it, and there's this girl, and she has a cross, and she is the Christian on the show. She's the Christian. Okay? And she has met an, uh, a Muslim man online. And she's interested in marrying him. Already, already, red flag. She was asking him on the, on the screen, do you like my cross? And he said, what do you want me to say? I'm a Muslim. Of course not. And he hung up the phone. but she's saying it's just too hard to to make this work because she's a Christian and he's a Muslim. Her occupation, by the way, she is an adult dancer. Okay. Why are you laughing? No seriously, why are you laughing? Just for a second. Don't answer that out loud, but answer it in your answer it in your mind. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Cuz you know that if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. The old has passed away, behold the new is come. So away with this idea that you can be a Christian because you have the right knowledge. If you don't love God with your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and others as yourself, you have not been effectually called. Some of you this morning are sitting there, and you know... That your life is not aligned with the new life, the effectual life, the life that bears fruit. This morning I bid you to come and to have new life in Christ. This is a controversial doctrine, especially amongst Christians. This doctrine states that God has chosen us from before the foundation of the world, all those who are saved. This doctrine is founded on the biblical teaching, and it cannot be rejected by believers without rejecting one of the most important doctrines in all of Scripture, namely that God saves sinners. But the issue, the issue with this particular doctrine is that people want to hold on to the idea that they have had some, even if it's the smallest, smallest little piece, some role to play in coming to faith in Christ Jesus. But the Bible won't have any of it. Ephesians 2:1 You were dead in trespasses and sin. Let me ask you something. We've got a we've got a a, a graveyard. It's over here. There's a graveyard, okay? And in honor of Halloween, we're going to go over there. I'm joking. We're going to go over there and we're going to say to all of those people, wake up and rise, walk And let me ask you a question. Do they have the freedom to do that? Do they have the liberty to do that? In other words, would we put them, would we arrest them if they started coming out of the grave? We might shoot them, but we wouldn't arrest them. They're not breaking any laws. There's no law against coming to life. They have all the liberty in the world to wake up and rise. But they lack the ability. They can't do it. They're dead and decaying. And scripture says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Verse 3, but it was, verse, verse 2, 4, excuse me, 3, 4, and 5 of Ephesians 2 says, but God made us alive. Charles Spurgeon said, I do not believe that we preach the gospel unless we preach the sovereignty of God in his dispensation of grace, nor unless we exalt The electing, unchangeable, eternal, immutable, conquering love of Jehovah. Nor do I think we can preach the gospel unless we base it upon the special and particular redemption of his elect and chosen people which Christ wrought out upon the cross. Nor can I comprehend the gospel which allows saints to fall away after they are called. It's not the gospel unless we preach that God saves sinners from the first to the last, from the greatest to the least, 100%, not 99 and 1, it's God. A.W. Pink said, How blessed to know that the great and holy God loved his people before heaven and earth and were called into existence, that he had set his heart upon them from all eternity. Clear proof is this that his love is spontaneous, for he loved them endless ages before they even had being. God's love for us began before the world was created. God knew us, those who would believe in his name, because God chose us. Why did he choose us? It's his grace, his pleasure. You say, but I really want to know, why does he choose some and not others? The better question is, why did he choose anyone? But Do you really want to worry about that rather than to enjoy the grace of God? I don't. Take this doctrine today and praise God for his grace on you. Now if you have your bible, I want you to turn in it to John 2:23 and 25, and we're going to look at that through 3:15. So turn to the Gospel of John. And I need to get a drink of water while I'm while you're turning. So I want to read through this one time, and then I want to come back. I want to explain what's going on here. Probably heard this story before, but let's start in verse 223. Now when he was in Jerusalem, he, there is Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, Because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for... Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit, notice the capital letter there is Spirit. That Spirit refers to the Holy Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now just really quickly, is there any such thing as a Christian who's not born of the Spirit? No. So every Christian is born of the Spirit. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's a reference to Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The very beginning of our passage, Nicodemus is intrigued with Jesus. The little section that comes right before the story prepares us, prepares the reader... ...to expect to see some people who are trusting in Jesus by what they're seeing him do. It says, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast... ...many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing... But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and did not need to have anyone tell him what was in man because he knew what was in man. So what do you have going on here? You have a people who are coming to Jesus for the spectacle. They have come to see the flashing lights and the screens and the impressive churches. They have come to be in a building and to feel the energy of the people. And they are calling themselves Christian. They are wearing the crosses. But Jesus has yet to entrust himself to them. Why? You say, but but, but, so maybe that's me this morning. Maybe I'm here for all of those things. Isn't that good enough to be saved? Is that what Jesus is looking for? And the answer is no. So here comes Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. Pharisees were very religious people. They were the people... ...who kept the law and kept every scruple of the law. In fact, the name Pharisee comes from one of two Hebrew words. The first one could mean separatist. The other one could mean scrupulous. But either way, the point is that these men and women were a new religious sect... ...that went back to the traditions of the law and of Judaism and tried to keep them strictly... They were very, very serious about their faith, about their religious beliefs. They all walked around with the Star of David around their neck. I mean, that's figurative, but they called themselves Jews. They were Pharisees. Nicodemus was even a ruler of the Jews. That means that he was on the the council's. That made religious decisions. So he's a very special person. He is a very trained person. He is a very smart person. And John knows that. And John puts Nicodemus' story in here to show that the wisest of wise, even if they're so smart and they went to Princeton and they went to Yale, cannot understand the things of God unless God gives them the ability. This is Nicodemus. He rules the Jews. He is a ruler. In that custom, in that religion, he is the priest. He is the the teacher himself. This man, it says, came to Jesus by night. Now, by the way, uh, Carson makes note of this. He came by night. True, he came by night at night. But when we see the word night used in the Gospel of John, it often is a metaphor for misunderstanding, which fits perfectly with our story. So not only does he actually come by actual night, he actually comes in ignorance. You say, how do you know he's coming in ignorance? Well, listen to him. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, keep in mind that the passage before says that people believed in Jesus because they saw the signs. And now you have Nicodemus coming to Jesus, and he is flattering Jesus. He's saying, I see all of the signs that you're doing. We know you must come from God. But that is a far cry from acknowledging him as Savior. From time to time, Christian organizations will do these studies where they'll go out and social experiments and they'll ask people, What do you think about Jesus? And a lot of times, people say very flattering things about Jesus. No one has been as smart as Jesus. Jesus changed the world. Jesus was so knowledgeable. Jesus went and spent time with the Buddha. He's like Siddhartha Gautama. He's he's an enlightened one. Jesus was kind. Jesus did more for women than any other man. Jesus was the one who put to death the idea of racial uh, segregation. Jesus was so wise. da 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 Jesus even had powers. You'll hear people from time to time come and say, Have you read the Quran? Have you read the Quran? It says that Jesus did miracles. It says that Jesus was even born of a virgin. You you read it, and people are so impressed by that. And they say, Oh my gosh, it must be that it's Christian. Do not confuse flattery with faith. Are you flattering Jesus this morning? Or do you have faith? Nicodemus, you must be... From God, because nobody could do this. Now, at the very least, he acknowledges the miracles. And at a later time in this particular book, chapter 10, Jesus will say, if you don't believe by what I'm saying, at least believe what I'm doing. At the very least, these signs, should con- they should bring you to me in some way. And here, Nicodemus is coming, at least. says to Jesus, Rabbi... I know you you must be special he says to him i know you essentially he says i know you're from god nicodemus is saying hey i'm not with the rest of the pharisees who are saying they're not they're, that you're a devil you know other pharisees are going to attribute the works of jesus and of the holy spirit to satan and Nicodemus comes in and says, I'm not doing that. I'm not one of the bad guys. I'm here. You must be from God. Listen to Jesus' response. Truly, truly. When you see those two words, when you see them come back to back like that, that means this is important. This means it's a truth, truth. It's a true truth. If there are truths, this one is a true true. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See is connected with the understanding that that Nicodemus thinks he has. Because notice what he says. We know that you're a teacher from God. No one can do these signs. What are signs? What you're seeing. And Jesus says, "You, you, you think you know me, but no one can know me unless he is born again. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, that's a rather crude question, but it also shows that the spiritual things of God require a spiritual mind, and that they actually, as Scripture says, confound the wise the wise and the learned don't know what to do with this talk of new birth and they make a fool of themselves when they try to explain What Jesus means and who Jesus was apart from the Holy Spirit. You must have the Holy Spirit in you to know the things of God. And to teach the things of God. Yet in our colleges and universities across this land. We have teachers who hate Jesus Christ. And yet claim to know him and to know about his word. And they teach our young people every day. They tell us that we can't trust the miraculous examples of the Bible because we know that miracles don't happen. That is actually further away from at least where Nicodemus was who said, hey, I've seen it. He does it. He just made water into wine. Grape juice, Baptist." Jesus says again, truly, truly, this is another one of those true truths. I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in the first sense, it's see the kingdom of God. In the next sense, it's enter into the kingdom of God. So unless you're born again, not only can you not know the things of God, but you can't partake in the things of God either. The first sense you can't see it, now you can't even enter it. You're outside the kingdom very important to acknowledge this at this point, that the concept of kingdom of God is a foreign concept to a Pharisee. The words kingdom of God do not appear in that construction in the Old Testament, which was the Bible that Nicodemus had. But there's certainly something about God being the one who reigns. Being the one who is sovereign over all of creation. That God is and will bring in the last days his people. Bring him into fellowship with his people. But Jesus calls this a kingdom. And he says to him this mysterious phrase. He says, unless someone's born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now many have... ...wrongfully interpreted this passage to be saying that unless you have waters of baptism on you, you you're not saved. They are called baptismal regenerationists. And they believe that it it is in the baptism that one is regenerated. We do not confess that as a church. We believe in regenerated in faith, or what we call believer's baptism... That the reason why we're up there being dunked in the water is because we believe with our hearts. You say, so then why be baptized? Because scripture says so. Because you who have the spirit in you now follows the Lord and the Lord says, be baptized. So be baptized. If your master tells you to jump, you ask him how high. And our master said, be baptized, so be baptized. Not right now, I know you want to be baptized. I love having you here, Claire. He says here, water and spirit. Well, what is he talking about? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn really quickly to a special passage, Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29. Ezekiel, it's in the Old Testament. In my Bible, it's page 1438. To those of you who are turning to page fourteen thirty eight, you missed the joke. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, no, nobody's going to know the Bible better than Nicodemus. Okay, no one. And he says, I will. He says, unless you're born of water and of spirit, you cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's read these verses. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29, I will take you, this is God speaking, I will take you from the nations, so outside of ethnic Hebrews, I will take his people, God is going to take his people from among the nations, just look around you right now, do you see the nations represented? I will take you from the nations and gather you. Do you know that the word gathering, the word for church is the Greek word ekklesia and it means gathering? Here we are. The nations gathered. Why? Well, Let's listen. I will bring from all countries, bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. It's a metaphor. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, or uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. You will cleanse yourself? No, I will cleanse you. And I will give you. A new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You will put this in you? No, I will, says God. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Why are you able to keep God's commandments? Because he has given you the power. He has caused you to do it. Christian, don't you ever, and every Christian in here knows this and should testify with me. Don't you ever praise yourself for your good deeds. You praise God. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. If you just can hear the language of revelation that God has made his dwelling place with his people, he has created a new heavens and a new earth and we will be with him and he will dwell with us and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. There will be no more hunger in those days, there will be no famine. This is the work of God. Jesus answers this teacher of Israel with an answer that he should have known. He is telling Nicodemus, you should have known this. You teach the Bible. You should know that the covenant that you have, the law that you so desperately are trying to keep perfectly, you can't do it. That if you're really going to be God's people, God's going to have to do it all. He's going to have to pour out His Spirit on you, write His commands on your heart. The Pharisees are trying to keep them by looking at stone tablets and trying to keep them all on their own by their flesh. But Jesus says to him, you're the teacher. You should know that you can't. You can't do it. God must do it. Says to him, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't marvel at that. Why? He says the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from where from where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, this language has already been used earlier in the gospel. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1, John says, But to all who did receive him, all who testified to receiving Jesus as Savior, who believed in his name, who understand the things of God, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood. There's that word born, Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, he's saying it's a new birth. And the metaphor is perfect because just like you had no responsibility in your first birth, you don't have any responsibility in your second. At least in producing your birth. You can't make yourself born. How could you do that? No one in here chose to be born. When it says, (laughs) trust me, you did not choose to be born. None of us chose to be born. Our parents did. And when it says here, not of the will of the flesh. Before, actually, Stephanie and I had Claire, there was a will, a desire for children. We made a decision. To have children and it took us some time and I'll never forget the day that we found out it was actually on a Sunday that we found out that Stephanie was pregnant with Claire but we had made a plan we were trying we were willing for it the other two I can't say the same thing (laughs) but you But it's not of the will of the flesh. So what is your birth from? According to John, it's the will of God. So Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus this mystery. He says, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? He says, listen, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. That is, you don't know the wind is there until it's upon you. You don't know it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. But when it blows you over, you know it. And you also know it after it's happened. This whole week we've been watching on television what happened in uh, uh, Mexico Beach, Florida. And they've been doing those aerial flyovers. And you can just see the devastation of wind. It used to look like this. Now it looks like this. The wind blew where it pleased. So too, our lives should look one way before the wind blows and look different after it blows. Just like that hurricane could have chose any place on earth. It didn't have to hit Mexico Beach It could have hit any any one of those cities that lined the coast. It could have done whatever it wanted. Watch the shows on tornadoes. No one knows where they're going. They do whatever they want. And as the wind blows and as it does what it wants, so too does the Spirit. And if the Spirit wants to give life to you and not you, to everyone here and to no one here, it is the wind's prerogative. It is the Spirit's business to save who it pleases, whom he pleases. Truly, truly, says Jesus, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Okay, here is the crux. Earlier I said that Nicodemus' faith wasn't the faith that Jesus was looking for. Why? Because Jesus says here very clearly, you have not believed the testimony. The testimony is this. God sent his son into the world. Not to condemn us, but to die for our sins. That all who believe on his name, Jesus is gonna say here, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he's referring to a passage in scripture where they were sick, there were snake bites, and he lifts up a serpent, and all they have to do is look at it. Man, you're dying. All you gotta do is look at this. You just have to acknowledge that this is the way. And you're sitting there with your snake bite and you're saying, No, I'll never be healed by that. That's stupid. I gotta do it my own way. I gotta call my doctor. I gotta get poison control on the line. I'm not gonna be able to clear or, he- or make myself healthy if I don't do it my way, my way, my way. And God's sitting there saying, Just look, just look at the serpent. Moses is lifting it up. That's what's gonna heal you. No, God, I know better. Poison control. I've got a snake bite. Oprah, Dr. Phil, help me with my drinking problem. Friend, help me overcome my adultery. I don't know where I'm going in life. I don't know what the meaning of life is. I don't know what to believe. And you can't hear unless God tells you Unless you do this, unless you hear his voice, hearing the testimony, to look at the cross. Just as the serpent was lifted up. And if they, if they would just trust to look at the serpent, if they would just trust, if you would just trust now to look at the cross for the salvation of your sins, you will be saved so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him, not that He did miracles, not that He was wise, not that He was mighty, not that He was influential, but that He was lifted up for your sake to take away your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is the testimony of Jesus. If you believe that this morning. Praise God. For the spirit has blown on you and has given you the heart to believe. Why teach this. I give you three reasons as we leave. Number one the importance of this doctrine. Is to purge our hearts of the last vestiges of sinful pride. I am preaching this sermon today to let everyone know in here God gets all the glory. If you walk out of here today and you have not received Jesus as Savior, God is glorified. But if you do, God is glorified. He is glorified either in His justice or in His mercy. Both are great. We must... Know that God is the one who saves sinners. Stephen Lawson, quoting one of our great Christian leaders, says this. He says, no more soul-destroying doctrine. This is Spurgeon. There is no more, or excuse me, this is uh, strong. No more soul-destroying doctrine could well be devised than the doctrine that sinners can regenerate, that is, be born again, Make themselves born again and repent and believe just whenever they please. As it is a truth both of scripture and of experience that the unrenewed man can do nothing of himself to secure his salvation. There is no pride to be had. God has saved you so that all boasting in yourself is excluded, says Paul. Number two, This doctrine causes us to refocus our praise and our worship on God alone as the one who gave us new life. Pink says this, It is by the Spirit's effectual call of the elect that the elect are brought out of their natural state of alienation, that is separation from God, and drawn to God in Christ. This call, this effectual call, is a supernatural call. It comes from outside of the physical properties. And it is God who draws us here expressly by his loving kindness. This morning's message ought to refocus us to praise God every day. That he loved you and has given you a new heart And a new mind to focus and understand on the things of God. To accept them and live by them. Finally, this doctrine is this. It is useful to comfort our hearts when we doubt our ability to persevere in the faith. You know, sometimes we say, you know, I don't know what I'd do if this ever happened to me. I don't know if I could still believe if X, Y, or Z happened to me. We say that because we're putting our faith in the flesh. We're saying, I I don't know that I could. But the doctrine of effectual calling guarantees that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that those whom he has called, He has forgiven, that is, He has justified, and He will glorify, that is, He will accomplish your salvation. You know, the same grace that saves you is the same grace you need from that moment to the end of your life. Everything that you accomplish is by God's hand. R.C. Sproul said this. The only way you can have any affection for Christ is if the Holy Spirit has changed the disposition of your heart and given to you an affection for the one whom you formerly despised. Listen to that word, affection. Do you love Christ this morning? Do you have affection for what he's done? Sproul says... This is where effectual calling can be very comforting in giving us our assurance. Let's pray. Father, this mighty doctrine, that you save sinners, that be it not for you, we would be dead in our trespasses and sins, but you have made us alive in Christ. God, we praise you this morning. God, we know you will keep us. But your word also tells us, Lord, that we must move ourselves. We must. We are responsible for what we do with the message we've heard today. You will judge us for our rejection, but all praise and glory be given to you for our acceptance. Lord Jesus, I have. My wife has. My oldest child has, my family has accepted you as our Savior, and we give you all the praise and the glory. And on behalf of every believer here this morning who acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our sins, we give you all the praise and the glory. Thank you. Amen.